it takes a lot of courage and awareness to shine a spotlight on where it's not really working for you you're trying to learn how to be present in what you're doing all day long that's what's going to keep you out of your depression and out of your anxiety if you're paying attention to what's real right now hello everyone and welcome to another episode of i am christina d'arcangelo thank you everyone for joining us today and in case you're wondering why CD is in red, because typically I don't wear red very often, although red looks nice on me, um, <laughs> don't do it. Um, today is Valentine's Day, so I'm really excited to be able to have Marcy McDonald on today and the spirit of Valentine's Day, as we will be talking about a multitude of things. Welcome, Marcy. How are you today? I am outstanding, Christina. I'm alive and I'm with you, so what could be better? Thanks. And the sun is shining, as we could tell from your, your video view. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful here in Prescott. It's always a good sign when the sun is shining because we're in the middle of winter and you never know what you're going to get. It's like a box of chocolates, no pun intended. <laughs> so That's for sure. Marcy, why don't you tell the viewers a little bit about yourself? I typically have my guests do that because I don't like to seem like I'm reading from a script and things of that nature. And I always feel like the person themselves do the best job explaining where they've been, especially if they've been in multiple different areas like yourself. Gosh, yeah, we could spend all day just saying how I got to where I am today. But I am a mindset strategist and empowerment coach. I'm also an end-of-life doula, one of fewer than 40 with an international certification. And the two are intrinsically connected because it was working with the dying that made me realize I need to back this up and help people change their mindset now instead of waiting until they're on their deathbeds to have regrets. So I use that end of life perspective to help wake people up to the urgency of making the changes they know they need to make, but they haven't gotten around to because They'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, you know what? I can say um, that I was one of those people. I know it's probably hard to believe, not from a work standpoint. I've never been one of those people when it came to work. But in my personal life, um, for a long, long time, I was that person. Um, I just, you know, I just kept plugging along, just executing from a work standpoint and just kind of ignoring what was happening on a personal level. Until um, it was summer of 2019. That's when I finally um, started thinking about oh, what I needed to improve upon personally. Um, not to mention I was in the middle of COVID and stuck with my divorce filing. And so that was a little bit of a, a, a difficult time. But I never really took care of myself from my father's passing in 15 going forward. And it took me a good two years to crack that nut, so to speak, um, till now where I finally graduated uh, therapy, not that it was court appointed, but in my mind, I had to have a graduation because it meant I was doing better. And I was thinking about what I was doing in the future and where my life was headed. Yeah, that happens to a lot of people, Christina, especially people like us who are go-getters. I came out of the corporate world and I was in a mostly male-dominated corporate world. So, you know, there's so much you're charging ahead all the time. You're proving yourself all the time. 
and invariably you take your meaning from the work that you're doing, which never sustains you in the deepest way, because in order to do that, you actually stop taking care of yourself, your emotional needs, your relationship needs, your spiritual needs, all get put to the back burner while you're trying to make your claim on the world. So it's very common what you went through, and I congratulate you, and I really honor you for taking that journey because it takes a lot of courage and awareness to shine a spotlight on where it's not really working for you when you're right. a person who's been proving all along that everything works for you. <laughs> right. And a lot of times these people didn't understand that my success was based on trauma. <laughs> you know, It was from my childhood going forward um, that spun me almost sometimes too much on the other side, meaning I pushed myself way too hard along, you know, along the way. I mean, when I was 30, I was the, the youngest head of global pharmaceutical and biotech and outsourcing and procurement, 30 years old. <laughs> so there's an extreme there for people like us where we go, we go too hard and then we end up forgetting about our core. Yeah. And then your body or your life just starts falling apart around you. I worked Five years after 2008, when everything had to be cut back, the company I worked for decided, okay, Marcy, we're going to take away half your team, but we're going to give you twice as much work because we have to make up the money we're losing. And so for five years straight, I worked 80 to 90 hours a week. When I cut back to 60 to 70, I thought, whoa, vacation time. But obviously, I was not taking care of myself during that time. And for me, it took a physical problem. I ruptured a disc in my back and I was forced to be out of work for three months. And it was a shock to me. I, I swear God had a hand in having me have that particular problem because I couldn't do anything except try to remember how to walk again because I'd lost partial use of one of my legs and be still. I had not been still for decades. And did you find when you um, went down to 60 to 70 hours a week rather than 80 to 90 that you were being lazy when oh, you cut absolutely. down? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If I did anything for myself, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, things are going to fall apart. Yeah, I mean, I was a perfectionist, so I also demanded just as much from my teams, and I apologize to all of them now, as I was demanding of myself, expecting them to put work ahead of everything else and to view not being there as being lazy and and not committed. I mean, that was just wrong on, on my part as a leader. It took me that shift to start saying, wow, actually, it isn't as important. And I'm setting a bad example here. I need to set the example of how you work fewer hours and get more done and have balance in your life. And I, I don't mean balance, like the whole work-life balance thing. There are times when you have to work your butt off. Let's right. face it, you're starting a business, you're launching a new program, whatever, but you come back down and you feel fine about mm -hmm. it. Well, I didn't. I had to learn how to say, it's okay. And eventually I cut back to 50 hours a week without guilt. That's mm -hmm. a huge achievement right there. Mm -hmm. Guilt 
guilt just sucks the life out of us. It sure does. And it just weighs in the subconscious, you know, and then you start to believe some of the things that you feel guilty about or some of the things that you say to yourself in your mind, um, which is like huge detriment. Um, It's just, I, 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 I used to do it myself, you know, and so I'm very careful on how I message things now to myself to my son, to everybody that's around me, even when I have to give difficult feedback, you know, because it's not always rosy and peaches when you're, you know, a CEO of multiple companies. Everybody thinks it's so glamorous. It's not, Um, especially when you have to tell somebody something that they may have messed up or misunderstood. And I'm very conscientious about how I deliver my messages. I used to just say whatever I wasn't rude, but I would just say whatever, like, okay, well, you know, I don't, I don't know what happened here, you know, and it would put people on the defense. It would make people feel mm-hmm. bad about themselves. And that was not my intention. I've always been a transparent leader. I've just changed my delivery um, style and tactics now because it's how I deliver information to myself. I do to others because I figure if I talk to myself in the best way I can, why wouldn't I share that with others? even when I have to tell them something's wrong. That's so critical. And I'm so glad you brought this up because self-talk is one of the three cornerstones of how I work with people. And I didn't even realize this was going to be such an essential part of my conversations and listening to people until my very first client, after an hour with her, I thought, this woman is terrible to herself. She didn't even hear the way she beat herself up. And at at the end of our work together, she said, I never knew I was the biggest bully in my life. Mm -hmm. And that is true for so many people, but they're so accustomed to hearing how they speak to themselves, which then spills over to how they speak to other people. They cannot hear it. That's, That's how a coach really helps or a really astute friend, helping you to hear what it is you're saying to yourself. And so that you're doing that is part of the reason why you felt this transformation in the last couple of years. The outcome of that work is that you speak with awareness and to yourself. That enables you to do the same with other people so that you can bring out the best in yourself and other people around you. It completely changes the dynamic because so much of your energy mm-hmm. goes into blocking yourself from believing in yourself, from being kind to yourself. It's like, you may as well just put a tube and let all your blood spill out on the ground. That's how much energy it's taking from you. Yeah, it's, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, it, it does take a lot of energy when you're doing that. And, you know, um, being brave enough to recognize that you're deficient in this area is a big thing to do because a lot of people, like you said, they don't even know what they're saying to themselves. They don't see it. Um, One of the things that I've learned now is to write a letter to myself Mm -hmm. to see how I write this letter to myself and read it out loud and record myself so that I can hear what exactly it is that I am saying to myself. Because for me getting, um, for me to get through trauma and things like that, I've learned that I have to get it out. Like, you know, I write it down, you know, um, because for me, I can talk about it, but it's not really fully getting it out. Um, and then obviously, I'm always down there hitting that damn boxing bag um, to try and help me get rid of some of this, 
the stuff that I need to get out, you know, but it's really hard. What, um, what tip would you give someone if they were trying to cope with some things that were trauma related or just not a good feeling? It doesn't always necessarily have to be trauma. I mean, somebody could cut you off while driving and act like a jerk and that's not nice and it hurts your feelings. So it could be something as simple as getting cut off without an accident um, <laughs> or something. Yeah, that's, that's such a deep topic that, that because I work exactly in helping people hear themselves notice. So the first thing I say to people actually is you have to learn how to notice. The fastest way to notice that something's going on is to pay attention to your body. We're going to send that tension to our body immediately. Even if you can't hear that you're saying something bad in your head, your neck's gonna tense up, your stomach's gonna tense up. And most people have one or two areas where they throw all that tension. I call it the red flag test. So throw out the red flag, notice that. The next thing you have to do is what I call rational breathing. So emotional mind is in control. I never knew that because I was such a rational person, but the emotional mind is in control. The rational mind works at processes about 60 bits of information a second. The emotional mind processes a quadrillion. So you just blinked in less time than you blinked, your emotional mind processed a quadrillion bits of information. To do that, it pulls from the past and it pulls from the most charged information from your past. And that is where the negative emotions and history come from. And that's why we get so reactive. So you have to balance the emotional mind and the rational mind in order to get present in what's really happening and make decisions about how you want to respond versus react. So you have that red flag test, you notice the tension in your body, and then you put both hands on your belly and you look at your hands look at them and breathe in deeply enough to move your hands. Now, most people have heard, oh, just breathe deeply, but people don't breathe deeply. They don't know how, especially women who have been taught to hold their stomachs in. They're embarrassed, even if they're not cognizant of it, of filling that belly up so that you can see that belly full of air. And then you let it out so that you see your hands moving in. If you do five of those belly breaths, rational breathing brings the rational mind forward and allows you to have some balance and a gap. So you're trying to make a pause, a gap that disrupts the emotional mind charging forward like a bullet train, pull back, and then you can start paying attention to what it is you want to feel, what's really going on. And then there's a whole lot of other stuff you need to be doing, but even just those two steps alone will help people tremendously. That's an awesome. Thank you for sharing that tip. It's, um, it's interesting that you said that because that's one of the things my son has learned in therapy mm. is breathing, you know, through things that may be frustrating, um, or annoying or upsetting. Um, because, you know, kids nowadays, it's just, uh, it's different than when we were kids, you know, it's, uh, it's every day. You never know when they're in school, what they're going to come home and tell you about. And, mm-hmm. and their be the kid's behavior isn't the same as when we, it's just, I, I have a hard time understanding some of this stuff and I'm not even that old. I mean, but still it's like, whew, you know, and I end up talking to like high school kids and 
early college kids so that I can try to understand these things. But one of the things that's been helpful for Christian is breathing. You know, when he's had some issue, breathing really helps him. And it's those deep breaths, just like you said, it really helps shift your entire mindset. And also it's almost like you're breathing in and breathing out the negativity, right? So you're getting rid of it, which is great to, you know, you're cycling that energy out of your body. Yeah. The reason I have people put their hands on their belly is not just so that they can see and get a big enough breath, but also because then they're looking there. So they're combining a focused action with focused attention, which means you're automatically going to shift off of whatever was running rampant in your brain. And so there are lots of other techniques to help you do that, but that's the fastest, the most immediate and the most effective. I love that. That's an awesome tip. Thank you for sharing it. Um, because it's something that the, the viewers and the listeners can take to practice. Um, it's, there's a lot to being mindful. It's not just waking up and putting yoga pants on. <laughs> there's a lot of things involved in being mindful. There's a lot of things that people think they're being mindful about, like, oh, all of a sudden they're trying to, a different type of diet or whatever. Well, that's just a portion of being mindful. I mean, there's a lot of things you have to do to be considered mindful, in my opinion. You can't just, you know, working in the CBD and the cannabis space and the traditional pharma space, you can't just take a pill. That's not your magic bullet, you know, that's get or elixir to help you feel better. Um, there's a lot of things that you have to do in connection of one another to be mindful. Breathing is just one of them, in my opinion. It is just one of them. And honestly, this shows how ignorant I used to be. I, When mindfulness first started getting tossed around as a term and things we all need to do, et cetera, I really thought it just meant getting an orange, peeling it slowly and eating it and taking an hour to do it. And I mean, that will help you pay attention. Yes, <laughs> but it's it's like this grain of sand on all the oceans of the world when it comes to understanding mindfulness. What I, the, the one of the cornerstones of what I do is what I call practical mindfulness. And that means that you're trying to learn how to be present in what you're doing all day long. Because yep. that's what's going to keep you out of your depression and out of your anxiety. If you're paying attention to what's real right now and what you can see. So another exercise I have people do when I'm doing retreats or, or long form coaching is to take a walk. And I don't tell people ahead of time. I say, we're all going to go on a walk. Five, and after five minutes, we stop and everybody gets out their writing journals. And I say, okay, now write down everything you remember from your senses during those five minutes. What did you see? What did you hear? What did you touch? What did you smell? And what happens, Christina, is that, especially since I work with a lot of corporate people, at first, they don't remember anything. Mm-mm. because They weren't there. They weren't there. They were, they were walking, but they're up, in the, mm-hmm. yep, they're up in the squirrel cage. And they're all kind of shocked at first. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, I'm, out, I'm in the mountains. Uh, I think I heard a bird. But when you, then you do that exercise again. And every time you do it, you get a little bit more aware of what's going around on around you. So that's just what mindfulness is. It's when we're together conversing, 
I'm not in my head. I'm not trying to figure out what you're going to ask me or what I'm going to say. I'm listening to you fully. I'm also feeling the sun. I'm, I'm aware of all my circumstances, but I'm not in some other mental space. I'm in this space. And that's what I think of as practical mindfulness. And that's what enables you to actually be happy, to have peace of mind, no matter what the whirlwind is going on around you at any given time, because you're just there in it. Here it is. Love what is and life is good. You're being present, right? You're really, truly being yeah. present in your own life. Um, that was another thing. It took me a long time to learn. Um, I was always there. I always show up. But was I really present? No. Um, do Am I able to have a conversation with two or three people at once? Yes. Yes, I can. Because I have an ADHD brain. So <laughs> I use it to my maximum capacity, which thereby makes me tired and then also makes me less present. So I, for someone like me, I have to really try very hard at times to be very present because my mind is all over the place. Um, but I make sure that I do it every single day. I used to not do that. I could barely do it. I could barely meditate. Now I could get to a place where I can see imagery and it's really, really amazing. Um, but then also it's being vulnerable with my own self and realizing that I have special things that I have the ability to do that not everybody does and I should embrace it because it helps me clear my mind, which is what I need. I need to be able to clear my mind because it's all over the place. I'm sure yours is the same way. I mean, you work no, with- I mean, I, I, I don't have ADHD, but, but I am, have kind of a rare brain in that I see the higher, the thousand foot view, and I see the on ground view at the same time. So I'm always pinging back and forth between the nitty gritty details and the patterns and the overview, which is a great strength. But it also means that in the past, I used to always be paying attention to, you know, where should I be? What, what view do I need? And I would not listen to mm -hmm. anybody, really. I mean, I, and I thought I was a very sensitive person. I call no nonsense on that. It wasn't really, Christina, until I took my end of life training, where one of the big things is teaching you how to deeply listen without judging, without having an answer. And I grew up in a kind of family where I was the caretaker. And I went into my corporate world still being the caretaker, even though mm -hmm. I was the ball-busting woman, mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. um, so no wonder I was messed up. But in as a doula, when you're sitting bedside with someone who's dying or with their family, you just have to listen without fixing anything. You're just there to hold their space in, a, in what is an entirely precious way because they're not going to have that space for much longer. No. No. And it really, really taught me how to be present. With that's also again why I need to share that understanding with other people because it's a game changer mm -hmm. for your whole life. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And you know, um, I'd like to have you back on to talk more about the doula aspect because you know, with my nonprofit affinity patient advocacy, sometimes with patients, I'm that person alongside their their bed um my my father was one of them um and then two, three years later it was his oldest brother i did that for them too i've i, I and 
and even animals. It's been an interesting, you know, it's just been really interesting through the nonprofit kind of where things have fallen. And I'm not trained in it. I just, you know, I'm there from a clinical standpoint because of the fact that, you know, I've done research for as long as I have and all the FTA drugs I've worked on in my career. But it's an interesting experience. And, and you're right, you just have to listen. And it's, it's pretty cool because they educate you on so many things that happened in their lifetime that you're privileged enough to hear before mm-hmm. they pass. That is so amazing. You know, although it's very stressful to be in that situation, but it's yeah, such a it's blessing. It's an honor. It's mm-hmm. an honor to be there with someone. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I actually think that I, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I didn't set a timer, um, but it was really weird. My Canabot, I think, was trying to come on um, (laughs) through Alexa. So I apologize. We're we're, we're running a diabetic neuropathy study right now. So the Canabot's alive and well and interacting with people. So (laughs) sometimes I don't know what I apologize. It just happens. Um, It'll fire up on my watch. Everything is silenced. But the, 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 you know, the thing over there, because I don't want to say it because you'll come on. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's so random. Um, this is why we're unscripted. Um, so I just wanted to thank you so much for joining me today and talking about some of these things. And I, I sincerely want to bring you back on again, um, because I would like to talk about the end of life experience a little bit more extensively to get your, your feelings and feedback on that, if you don't mind. I do. Plus, I have a big, bold idea when it comes to end-of-life doula work that I'd love to share with you. We'll talk about it next Okay. Time. Okay. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so very much, Marcy. I really, truly appreciated your time. And I'm so honored that you were on today for Valentine's. We got to talk a little bit about love, right? About self-love and loving others and how we speak to them in a loving manner rather than our, our corporate way, which doesn't have to be that way in corporate anymore, right? We can be ourselves for truly who we are. So with that said, as we always say, remember, we are the same. I am Christina D'Arcangelo. Thank you for joining us today. 